thank you for that. Take your Bible, please, and open to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So today, I thought we'd build a church together. What do you think? Let's see how far we get. Let's begin with prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for the church. And we thank you for Jesus, the master builder of the church. Help us, Lord, to take a a look at the church today and what it ought to be. Lord, we pray once again that you would bless those that have maybe today some extra heavy burden. We pray, Father, that you'd show them how to cast that burden into your hands and how to trust you. And Lord, we know that's easier said than done. But it's not impossible. It's very possible for the child of God. Lord, please bless your people today as we look at your church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, in this passage here, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you'll notice verse 9, Paul said, we're laborers together with God. So we're in this together, folks. And then he speaks specifically of the folks at the church at Corinth. He says, ye are God's husbandry. That would be like the farming aspect of it. Then he says, ye are God's building. And then he proceeds with that thought. He says, verse 10, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, that wisdom was given to Paul by God. He says, I have laid the foundation, another buildeth thereon. So he's the one that got the church started, and he was there at Corinth for about a year and a half, and he moved on, another man took over. And then he was saying, Uh, Let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Verse 11, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So he's the right foundation. And then he talks about the gold, silver, precious stones being the proper building materials as opposed to the wood, hay, and stubble. And verse 13, he says every man's work, so I think... Specifically, primarily, he's speaking of a pastor or a church builder, someone who would uh, start a church and and get it organized and so on. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. And that's a future day when we stand before the Lord Jesus and he checks out our, our lives on earth and the work we've done. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is, and it'll quickly determine if there's wood, hay, stubble, or gold, silver, precious stone. So in this passage, Paul writes about being careful how we build our churches. And if you think about it, (laughs) if it's God's work, we better do it carefully. He says that we need to choose the right foundation, and that's Jesus Christ, and we need to use the right building materials. And I'd like to suggest to you that the proper building materials for a church consist of the Bible, the Holy Spirit, prayer, and constant revival, among other things. I believe that there are many different kinds of churches in the world today, and they go by a multitude of different names. Uh, What's more, they believe in 
different beliefs and practices. I just read recently about a church that was so proud to uh, start and open its doors and it was based on drinking alcohol. They called themselves the church. All these people came together because in the churches they were, the churches banned alcohol. They frowned upon it. So these people in those churches that loved alcohol came out of those better churches and formed a church of their own. And uh, I don't know if the first church of booze or some strange name or something like that. But um, they seem to be very proud of that. But um, most churches in the world are very small. Uh, know that right up front. Other churches are a bit bigger. Others are a fair bit bigger still. Others have over a thousand people in them in attendance. A few uh, others have many thousands that attend every Sunday morning. A small few of the total churches in the world have tens of thousands of people that attend. Now, some of these churches seem to feel cold and kind of empty inside. Others will be flippant and silly. Other churches will seem very stern and very angry. And other churches will seem very loving and very happy. But is there anything in particular about any of these churches that is especially pleasing to our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, if you think about it, Probably the first and foremost thing about any church is what sort of gospel they preach and how they go about preaching it. You think about it logically, that's probably step one. And I think that that actually draws a line in the sand. I believe that uh, the gospel is like a line in the sand and it divides and it eliminates all churches that are not saved. Anything, doesn't matter if it calls itself Baptist even, if they're not saved, if they don't have the gospel, and they're certainly not going about preaching the gospel, it draws a line and it excludes them. They are not part of Christ's churches around the world. That's pretty sad. It also eliminates all churches where the people may be saved and yet they do not proclaim the gospel. There are churches like that too, and that's pretty sad, I think. It doesn't mean they're not churches in that sense, but boy, I think they're a disappointment. Say, why is that? Because the main purpose of the local church is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the main purpose of the local church. It's not music, although we need music. It's certainly not a big band, Nothing wrong per se with a big band, but just be careful how and where you use it. And so what we are left with is a much smaller number of churches around the world where the people are saved and where they're proclaiming the gospel. So this has to be step one. If we're going to build a church that's going to please the Lord, step one, point one, numero uno, has got to be the gospel and what we're doing with it. They talk about leaving the seed in the barn and not getting the seed out in the field where it belongs. That would be like a church where people are saved, but there's no soul winning going on. There's no witnessing going on. There's no support of gospel preaching missionaries going on. It's like us four no more. It becomes an ingrown toenail. And uh, sadly, that's what happens to a lot of churches over the years. But... Um, 
the small number, smaller number of churches around the world where they're saved and they're actively preaching the gospel, they can still be very different, just as the seven churches in the book of Revelation were very different, and yet they were all churches. The main reason, I think, for differences amongst the churches is this, that over time, the church develops its own personality. And the personality is shaped by what the pastor and the people in the church will emphasize. Now, if we're going to build a church together, I think the main thing, number one, has got to be build it on the preaching of the gospel. Now, remember that a church is an organized body of saved men and women having doctrine and leadership brought together for the purpose to reach the world with the gospel and lead these new converts in baptism and then ground them in the faith. Now this is one reason why I love being in a church that emphasizes what Jesus emphasized because he emphasized soul winning and the great commission. It's through church soul winning and it's through the support of worldwide missions that we can fulfill the great commission. It brings out the love of God. And listen, I believe that a church that will make the Great Commission the number one thing, a church that will do that will experience the love of God far more than a church that does not emphasize the Great Commission. Perhaps gives very little or none of its time or its money or its energies toward reaching the lost. And so, soul winning has to be number one. But I think that you might agree that number two, if we're going to build a church, we need to build it, number one, around the soul winning, the proper gospel and the preaching thereof, that's number one. But number two, I think it ought to be God's love. I think that God's love ought to be uh, emphasized in the church. God's love ought to be sought after in the church. And I think that any church that will put soul winning and evangelism number one will probably experience a great measure of God's love. Now listen, when I talk about God's love, I'm not talking about a a touchy-feely, get happy kind of pep rally. Uh, Some churches specialize in that sort of thing, you know. One of the largest churches, in fact, I think it is the largest church in North America, is pastored by a man named Joel Olstein. It's called the Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas. And uh, they regularly draw in over 43,000 people every Sunday. Can you imagine what that would look like? But they flock to his services. However, if you examine Mr. Olstein's preaching you will find that he does not believe in preaching about hell. He does not believe in preaching against sin. He's been on nationwide TV and he said, that's not my thing. That's not what God's called me to do. When you look at his preaching, you'll find it's mainly just kind of positive psychology. And so if that's what he's preaching, you must ask yourself, How can his people be saved from hell if they've never repented of their sin? Because they've never been taught from the pulpit what hell is all about and taught what sin is all about. How can they ever repent? It really makes you wonder. There's only one way to be saved, folks. Saved from hell, and that's through repentance of personal sin, repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. 
Someone might say, now wait a minute, Pastor, you said repentance from sin. What kind of sin has a guy like me ever done? I've never murdered anyone. I'm not a, a thief. I'm not one of these nationwide liars. I'm not a rapist. I'm not a bank robber. What kind of sin have I done? Have you ever told a lie? Well, sure, who hasn't? That's my point. Everyone has. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you stood before God and told him a lie, would that be, would that be something righteous? Would that be something sinful? Well, you know yourself, that would be wrong. To stand before God Almighty and tell him a lie, that would be a sin. And every one of us have done it. And that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of what sin is. And by the way, if all you did was just scratch the surface, you say, oh, come on, what's that? Well, go ahead and scratch the surface again. And now again, and again, and again, and it won't be long. If you scratch the surface enough times, you will bleed. You scratch the surface, keep scratching it, you will bleed profusely. If you scratch it enough times, you'll be through to the other side. That's serious trouble. Sin is always serious business. Because it stands in the face of God in opposition to Almighty God. And God has to condemn sin. He has to judge sin. That's why it's important for every man, woman, and young person to repent of sin and to believe and to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as personal Savior. There was another man I read about, and he started a church a number of years ago, and I think he boasts about 25 or 30,000 people that come to his church. What he did was he went to the business world, and he got a book by a man named... Peter Drucker. Peter Drucker was considered to be one of the top gurus in business. And his, his whole life he would go to businesses like IBM and Xerox and these large corporations and he would teach them how to be better businessmen and get more sales. And this man picked up Drucker's book and decided that he would build a church based on that book. And so he would go around to people and say, what would you like to see in a church? Well, none of this uh, preaching against sin. Okay, and he'd write it down. What would you like to see in a church? I want to see more get happy music. All right, and he'd write that down. That's how he built his church. He built his church according to the kind of preaching that he, people were telling him to and according to the kind of music, and he's big on music. Apparently, there's about uh, six or eight, I think it is, different auditoriums you can go into depending on what kind of music you like. You go down to his church and if you like rock and roll music, you go into building A. All your hymns will be rock and roll. If you like country and western swing dance or something, you go into building B. If you like maybe opera or something like that, you go into building C. And this is what he did to build his church. Now in the world's mind, that's pretty smart. But is it really a church? Is it really according to what God says is a church? You know, back in Jesus' day, the Pharisees, they seemed to have very little love. Every time you read about them, they're always up to some knife-in-the-back trick. They seemed to be focused on stern legalism. But Jesus had another approach. He had compassion on the people. And he said in Luke 19, he said, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so, number one, if we're going to build a church, let's build it on the preaching of the gospel. Number two, if we're going to build a church, let's build it on the love of God. Let's really get close to God so his love can flow through us to other people. You know, we are a friendly church. 
Years ago, I remember someone who came to our church for a few weeks and then stopped coming. And we got in touch with them and uh, asked if everything's okay. And they basically told us that they thought there was something suspicious about our church because people were so friendly. Imagine that. Well, we stand condemned, folks, because we are a friendly church. But remember, love is not so much a feeling as it is a life of proper actions toward others. For example, God saves us because he loves us. John 3.16, for God so, what? Loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's why there's nothing lovable, there's nothing savable in us. But the fact is he loved us. That's why he left heaven and came and died on the cross for our sins. Was dead, buried, and rose on the third day. Can I get an amen on that one? Amen. Yeah. He's alive today. This is his house. The Lord is in his house. We've had some people come to our church and leave because they kind of don't feel right. And what they're saying is, I'm not used to the Lord being in church. They were brought up in a church that was stone cold, I suppose, where the Lord wasn't in there. But when the Lord is present, you can feel that. It's like when you read the Bible, you can feel the presence of the Lord. By the way, if you have trouble feeling the presence of the Lord when you read the Bible, may I gently suggest there's something wrong in your heart? Something is not the way it should be. If you can read a chapter, two chapters, five chapters, and not feel the presence of the Lord, or almost hear his silent voice speaking to your heart, something's not right. Either you're lost, or you're not walking close with the Lord. You're walking too close to the world to hear his still small voice. But I want to talk about God's love here. He saves us because of his love. But did you know he also disciplines us because of his love? That comes out in Hebrews chapter 12. Both are done out of his love. Both of them. Now, already, think about it. Isn't this the type of church that you'd want to be part of and join as a member? A church like that. But someone might ask, can't I just be a Christian without joining the church? And the answer is yes, absolutely yes. Sure you can, not a problem. You can do that. But, but, it's like being a student without going to school. It's sort of like being a soldier who doesn't want to put on the uniform or join the army or even go out to war. It's sort of like a citizen of a country who won't pay his taxes and won't vote when he should. Such a Christian perhaps might be more similar to an explorer all alone without a base camp. Such a Christian might be more similar to an author without anyone to read his books. Such a Christian would be similar to a football player all alone without a team to play with or a honeybee without a hive. I believe that a Christian sure misses out on a lot of God's blessings when they're not part and parcel of one of God's churches. Now, if we're going to build a church, a church that makes God happy, a church that doesn't make the devil happy, but makes God happy, then I got a couple of suggestions. Number one, make the church a place of repair. Make the church 
a place of repair. And I'd like you to take your Bible and turn to the right, to the book of Ephesians. Don't go too far, you'll miss it. Galatians, then Ephesians, and chapter 4. We'll read a couple verses out of that. Ephesians in chapter 4. We'll pick up here in verse 11. Follow along as I read. The Apostle Paul wrote, And he, that's Jesus, gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Pause for a moment. The purpose of the pastors and the teachers is to perfect the men and women of God, the Christians within the church, so that they may do the work of the ministry, so that the body of Christ may be edified. Verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. And I'd just like to add a comment here. Be careful how much quote, Christian radio you listen to, uh, be it on the internet or on your radio, be careful, because not all that glitters is gold. And you will have some preachers that are telling you that God is raising the dead in their church services. Actually, that probably happens at about 12 noon when the church service is over and all the dead are, oh, come back to life, and off they go to lunch. Uh, you've got others that are, are trying to tell you and prove to you that Jesus didn't die for all the world. He only died for a select few people. You're going to get everything from soup to nuts. And some of it is real nuts. As you listen to Christian radio, it's not all it's cracked up to be. And I have a, an example. Years ago... I spoke to the man, the manager in charge of the Christian radio station just down here in, in the state of Washington and broadcasts up here in Surrey all the time. Many of you listen to it, I think. I've listened to it too. And I sat down with him. He was the manager, a Christian saved man, the manager of the station. And I asked him, where do you go to church? He says, I don't. I said, why not? He says, when you have all this, and he was referring to all of his Christian radio programming and all of his songs and everything that he had available. When you have all this, there's no need to go. You believe that? That was his attitude. There's a Christian not in church. I don't believe that that is God's will because I have a Bible here that God wrote and God said, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. But exhorting one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And folks, if that day is talking about, you know, the, the coming tribulation and so on, boy, do we see that approaching. Uh, anyhow, back here, we want to make the church into a place of repair. And verse 15 says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. And so these verses are teaching us about a place of repair, and that's what a local church ought to be. Listen, you ought to leave better than when you came in. You ought not to leave wounded, come in healthy, leave wounded, 
You know, there's a lot of churches that adopt the motto, come as you are. I've seen one of them a few years ago in a local newspaper here, and it had that motto, come as you are, and it had a pair of old work boots caked with mud on them. Come as you are. I, I question about coming into the house of the Lord like that. Now, I'm not saying that we need to go out and you know, buy fancy wardrobes, but when we come into the house of the Lord, I think that we ought to dress the best we can. Now, you might disagree with that. You might think, oh, not me. I'm one of those come as you are kind of people. Well, then come as you are, but leave like Jesus. Don't leave as you are, or something's not right. We failed somehow. If you can walk out that door and just be just as, 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 pardon the expression, but a clever devil, if you can walk out and be just as much a clever devil as when you walked in, maybe we're not doing our job right. But if you can come as you are and walk out a little more like Jesus, I think we've done something. And I think God's been glorified. And we just got to hang on to that all through the week so we can... You know, come as we are, a little notch higher next Sunday, maybe. Well, here, this, this passage is talking about making the church a place of repair. And the only way that people can have their lives repaired is if they're taught good doctrine. Now, we said if we're going to build a church, it has to be around the gospel and the love of God. But it doesn't stop there, folks. We need good doctrine. Can you imagine if we taught you that you can lose your salvation? Just commit one sin, you've lost your salvation. You say, oh, why, that sounds like heresy. Call it what you will. But there are churches that teach that principle, that you get saved by repenting and faith in Christ, and you're saved, but you commit one sin. And that's why, believe it or not, and I'm telling you the truth, there are Christians that would stand and look at you in the eye and say, I haven't sinned for 25 years. Wow, what are you, dead and in heaven or something? <laughs> Truth is, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We need good doctrine. And hopefully, that's what we're giving you. Sunday school. You ought to be here for Sunday school, 10 o'clock. Why? Because we preach good doctrine. You ought to be here for 11 o'clock. Why? Because we preach good doctrine. You ought to be here for 6 o'clock. Why? Because we preach good doctrine. You ought to be here for Wednesday, 7 o'clock. Why? Because we preach good doctrine. The day we start preaching bad doctrine is the day you ought to start coming to the pastor and saying, Pastor, what's going on here? And if we continue to preach bad doctrine, that's the day when maybe you should find a better church. But a church needs to be a place of repair. And it can only be that if we preach good doctrine. For example, you go to the hospital when you need to get repaired, right? Or maybe you're going to visit someone. <laughs> but usually when you go to the hospital, it's because something is hanging and it's not proper. You uh, broke. And they'll know what to do. They'll look at it and say, does this hurt? Oh, that hurts. Okay, well, you know what your problem is. And they give you an injection. They bind you up or something. And you want some, some good doctoring, right? When you go to the hospital, is that what you want? Or do you want some bad doctoring? 
No, you want some good doctoring. Some hospitals have, have sent ladies home uh, who, who've died at home. They, they've sent them home saying, oh, you just have up, an upset stomach. That's bad doctoring, isn't it? Send them home. And they got some kind of tumor or some disease or something, but they just said, oh no, it's just a, a little flu, flu bug. It's just an upset stomach. Go home, you'll feel better in the morning. And they're, they're dead in the morning. Well, they got some bad doctoring. And wh what we want is some good doctrine. The word doctrine means teaching. And so that, that'll only happen as we preach the book. We preach the book. Even if we go through it page by page, we're going to hit every subject imaginable under the sun. Everything. Even if we just go through page by page. Henry Ward Beecher spent his whole life as a pastor and he was a great preacher of the gospel. And concerning the local church, he said these words, the church is not a gallery for the exhibition of eminent Christians, but a school for the education of imperfect ones. He, he had a nice way of putting it. I think the church needs to be a place of repair. I've told you my famous illustration. Actually, I've heard it from my wife many years ago. But we're married, so what's hers is mine. So, uh, my famous illustration of the two buckets that met at the well one day. And one bucket was very happy, and the other bucket was very sad. And the happy bucket looked at the sad bucket and said, friend, why are you so sad? And the sad bucket said, because every time I get full, I get empty again. And then the sad bucket looked at the happy bucket and said, why are you so happy? And the happy bucket said, because every time I get empty, I can come here and get full again. The story of the two buckets, now you know. In a year or two, you'll hear me say it again. Just laugh and go along with it. I'm getting at that age, you know. Jesus is the fountain of living waters. No question. And he is in church today. And my admonition is, come to the fountain. Come to the fountain. At the end of this preaching, we'll have an invitation. If you've come to this church more than once, you know what it is. We invite you to come and spend a moment on your knees and talk to the Lord. You'll see people all across this altar coming on the invitation. What are they going for? They're going to talk things over with God. They're going to roll burdens. They, they, they'll come as a, as a sad bucket and they'll go back as a happy bucket. Come and meet with the fountain today. Num number two, if we're going to build a church, let's make the church a place, number one, a place of repair, but number two, a place of prayer. Make the church a place of prayer. For this, let's go back to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21. Matthew in chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, we have the words of the Lord and he's actually giving a rebuke to uh, the Pharisees and those that came into the church just to make merchandise. By the way, can I say a quick uh, announcement, a quick a commercial, that um, if, if you have a little business on the side and you sell services or sell products, good for you. Uh, prosper and be happy, but um, best not to bring it to church. 
Don't bring it to church because it will cause trouble. It'll cause hurt feelings. It'll cause problems. So keep the, uh, the doves and the exchangers of money. Keep it all out of the church, okay? You can do it at Tim Hortons. You can, you know, do it whatever you like someplace else. But don't, don't bring it to church. Don't bring the doves and the, the money changers tables and things to church. So the Lord in verse 12 threw them all out. And verse 13, he said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. Wow. Imagine if the Lord visited our church and, and said those words to us. Imagine if Jesus came next Sunday morning and stood behind the pulp and said, Now I've checked out every single one of you. And my house is to be a house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. Boy, Wow, that would hit us pretty hard, wouldn't it? Like it hit them. You know that the Lord knew what he was talking about? Did you know that there are churches where people come just to network with each other? Huh? Try and buy and sell and get gain? There are churches like that. And I don't think that's pleasing to the Lord. I think that a church needs to be a place of prayer. And I believe that a praying church will bring God's power and protection into the lives of God's people. If you're interested in the power of God in your life, you need to be part of a praying church. That means you need to come and be part of the prayer meetings. You need to pray every day for your church. And I sure hope you're praying every day for me. I desperately need your prayers. Because day after day, I'm constantly reminded how nothing I am. I don't even know if that sounds like right English, but it sort of expresses how I often feel in my heart, that I am absolutely nothing. And I want God to be absolutely everything in my life. And I need your prayers every day. If we're going to build a church, it needs to be a place of prayer. And I believe that a praying church is a happy church, is a prosperous church. And I want to invite you to come to the prayer meetings. And we've got a 9.30 prayer meeting every Sunday morning. And we've got a 7 o'clock Wednesday, midweek, Bible study and prayer time. And I want to invite you to come and be part of it. Don't just, just say, oh, pray for me. And then never come. We've got these wonderful connection cards here and I encourage you to use them and if you have a prayer request, use them. That's what it's for. But at the same time, I want you to come and help someone else with their prayer requests and pray for them and come and be part. There's no reason why we have to stay home on Wednesdays and watch TV. Oh, well, you know, it's late on Wednesday by the time I get home and get my supper. And before you know it, you know, the boy, it's about a quarter to seven or something. If I were to come to church, I'd get here late. Better late than never. Better late than never. Just come anyhow. Even if I get late, even if you're here late. It's best to be on time, but what's second best is be late. And by the way, if you possibly can, don't settle for second best. Settle for first best. Always be here on time. We can, we can do that, folks. That's really within our power to do. Okay, if we're going to build a church, let's hurry up here. Let's make the church a place of repair. Let's make the church a place of prayer. But let's make the church a place of Christian fellowship. Christian fellowship. Never underestimate the power of Christian fellowship. And for this, I'd like you to turn to the book of Acts. Go to the right to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, 
We have the beginning of the very first church here. It was in Jerusalem. And I'll tell you what, if you and I were living back in those days, that's the church we'd be going to. There was no other church. You say, but boy, wasn't that the church that grew to 3,000? And so, Yeah, that was on the first day of its birthday there. They just grew. Oh boy, I don't know. I mean, uh, can you get a place to sit? Church of 3,000? I know that our church is growing. God is growing his church here. I know that. And I know that we have to put out extra seats. And I know it's the hottest month of the year. And I know the air conditioners are working full-time, overtime. And I know we got every fan in the building switched on. Keep praying for a bigger building. Keep praying that God does a miracle. Someone says, oh, I got a better idea. I'll just leave until the church shrinks. Then I'll come back. There'll be more room. You could do that, I suppose, but I don't think God would bless that. Instead, you know, stick with the rest of us sardines here and pray and ask God to give us our next building because our next building, the auditorium, would be twice this size. You'd be able to lay out, stretch your feet out. I won't let you, but you'd be able to stretch your feet out on the pews. Oh, it'll be glorious. And the air conditioning will be more than what we need. Oh, we'll have so much room. We can run all around. We can play hide and seek. Keep praying for the next building, would you please? We're looking for a building of about 15,000 square feet. That's what we're looking for. Well, we got to hurry up here. We got to make the church a place of fellowship. Acts chapter 2, please look at verse 41. Then they that, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. You see what you're supposed to do after you get saved? You're supposed to get baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And what's the next word? Fellowship. And in breaking of bread, that would be what we would know as communion, and in prayers. You see that? So you've got doctrine in there, you've got prayers, you've got fellowship there as well. A good church is something like a little piece of heaven on earth. That's what a good church should feel like. You cannot get this at home. Oh, I'm just going to stay home and just watch church on TV. You can do that, but you will not get the same effect. <coughs> honey, honey, you and I have been dating for two years now, and uh, I think it's time we get married. Oh, I've been waiting for those words. I agree. I, I say yes. I haven't asked the question yet. Oh, it doesn't matter. The answer is yes. Well, here's the ring. Here's the preacher. Let's get married. Okay, now we're married. You live in that house. I'll live in this one over here. I'll watch you on this TV screen. You watch me on that TV screen. We'll have a wonderful life together. <laughs> no, you won't. There's nothing like being there. Amen? You married people, right? I know some of you, oh, I'd like to go back to being single. No, you wouldn't. You just say that. Come to one of the marriage seminars. We'll fix you. We'll, we'll get you all fixed up. There's nothing like being there. Yes, you can watch church at home. If you're sick, you, what else are you going to do? Yes, you can watch church on your computer when you're away on vacation and there's no other good church in town. Tune us in. But listen, on Sundays and Wednesdays, come into God's house and meet with God and God's people. There is nothing that equals this. It's the full orb 
Oh, I can meet with God off in the bush, off in the forest. I can go for a walk in the forest and I can meet with God. Well, when was the last time you ever did it? Well, I can't remember specifically. Be honest, you've never done it. These people that say, I don't have to go to church. I can meet with God. Yeah, I've heard that before. And, and I don't believe it then and I don't believe it now. There is nothing that beats being there. Very same with marriage. Nothing like it. Being together, wow. When I have to be away from my wife, I can hardly wait to get home. When she's away from me, I can hardly wait till she's home. Nothing like being together. And that's what we get in church. We get a fellowship. Not just with each other, but with God, because God is in his people. Phew! Come to church and be with God. Be with God. Now, Christians who don't faithfully come to church are missing out on the blessing because iron sharpeneth iron. That's what you get when you're, when you're together. Quickly, we have to finish here. Number four, make the church a place of Christian service. Christian service. And I'd like you just to turn back to Matthew. Would you do that, please? Matthew in 25. Matthew 25, and we're almost done here. Matthew 25. I'd like you to look at verse 19. We're just going to summarize here. It's the story of the, the wealthy man. They called him a Lord. And he gave a sum of money to each of his three servants. Verse 19, after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents, a talent is about 60, give or take, 60 pounds worth of something. And uh, if it was gold, oh man, can you imagine 60 pounds of gold, what that would be worth, even if it was 60 pounds of silver. But um, it was, it was five, five talents is what it was. He that received the five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Now watch this. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. What does that mean? It means the Lord has joy to reward his servant. That's what that means. That's the joy of thy Lord. When your Lord takes joy in rewarding you. I talk to a lot of people, a lot of Christians, and some Christians are somewhat backslidden, and they say, oh, I'm not doing it for rewards. No, 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 not me. No, I'm not serving God for rewards. Truth is, they're not serving God but they say, oh, I'm not serving God for rewards, then you are cutting God out of the joy because his joy is to reward you. Just like a parent, when the child comes and says, Mom, Dad, I worked so hard and I got an A on my report card. And Mom and Dad, they have a slobbering fit and they take the boy or the girl out for ice cream and they reward the child. Often, often that's the case. Parents who love their kids and want to see their kids do well in school or prosper, they get so overwhelmed with joy they want to do something, give something, be something for their child. And our Heavenly Father wants to have joy in rewarding us. 
And when we live according to His will, we will be active in His service so that one day He will reward us. Son, it gives me so much honor, so much pleasure to be able to award this to you. And that's not all. I've got something over here and something over there. Just like it says, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. And God's rewards are so much greater than the service we render. So please get involved with service. That's really what we learn here. There's three servants and two of them serve, even though they had different numbers of talents and both of them got the same wonderful, well done. It was only the third one who did nothing, who didn't serve, who wasn't part of the service of his Lord. He's the guy that got reprimanded. You know what? Service for Jesus always pays in good dividends. Always. Oh, but it's going to cost me an hour of my time. God will bless that back to you. He will. He will. I promise he will. Ah, you know, Sometimes we get to be penny-pinching when it comes time for offering. Some of us don't give. Some of us don't. You know, we have a Sunday school. In the Sunday school, our needs are simple, but I think everyone should throw in a coin. <laughs> you know what ends up happening? Now, I don't know who gives what. I stay out of that, and I make sure I don't know. If you want to tell me, I'm going to run away from you. I don't want to know what anyone gives. But I've seen the baskets as they bring them. And out of a whole group of adults, there'll be maybe half a dozen coins. Now, take it for what it's worth. But I think that we all ought to do something. We ought to have a, a hand in there somewhere. Did you know that if you were to give just one loony in Sunday school per week, in a whole year, you've given $52. Say, ah, what can you do with $52? We can buy a lot of Sunday school material for $52. We can buy other materials that we can use to minister to the children. The adults basically are the workhorse of the church. The children, they don't have jobs. They have little bits of money given to them by their parents. Hopefully the parents teach them the value of giving something to the Lord. And so when it comes to things like giving or uh, faith promise, I think that we miss out when we don't get involved. I try to give something to God at every service, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday. I try to do that because it's good for my heart. It keeps me surrendered to my Lord. That's why I do it. So we want to make the church a place of Christian service. Can I ask you what sort of service are you doing for the Lord? Tell you a story I read. A rich businessman and a very prominent lawyer went on a world tour and they saw many impressive things, but when they got to Korea, they saw something that impressed them more than anything. One morning as they were walking along this dirt road, they saw off to the side in a field a young boy pulling a, 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 a plow you know, where an animal should be. There was a boy harnessed up and he was pulling this and an old man was standing at the other end of the plow, walking behind the plow. And these two, they looked at that and the lawyer took out his camera and took a picture of it. In the next town, they met a missionary who was actually looking after both, both those villages. And they showed him the picture. Isn't this the most peculiar thing you've ever seen? And the missionary looked at it and said, yes. He said, I know that boy and I know that old man. 
tell, I'll tell you their story. Years ago, when we were getting the church going, we were time to build a church building, this older man and younger boy wanted to give something to help, but they had no extra grain, they had no extra money. So what they did was they sold their ox and they gave that money to help build the church. And that's when the boy took over, started pulling the plow and the old man starting pushing it behind. And the businessman and the lawyer were dumbfounded. And finally, one of them said, what a fantastic sacrifice. The missionary said, well, they, they really don't look upon it as a sacrifice. They look upon it as a joy that there's something that they could do to help the Lord's work. That's how they looked upon it. And that's how you ought to look upon your service for the Lord. I think that every Christian ought to get in harness and do something for God. There are so many things that can be done. What kind of service are you doing for the Lord? Are you doing the least you can? Or are you doing the most you can? And really only you can answer that. Now we've got to finish up here. And I'd like to say how glad I am that Jesus loves his church. If you ever wonder how much Jesus loves his church, all you got to do is read Ephesians chapter 5 because it says that he died for his church. That's how much he loves us, folks. He loves us with all his heart. A fire. You get a fire going and all those burning embers in there and you reach in with the metal tongs and you pull out one burning ember and it is bright, bright, and the sparks are flying off that thing, and you hold it with the metal tongs out away from the fire, and it doesn't take too long, does it, before the brightness begins to dull, and you keep holding it, and you'll find the ember is cooling off, and that's what happens when you extract yourself out of church, when you pull yourself out of church for whatever reason, when you miss church services, you're like that ember pulled out. But if you were to insert that ember back in to that fire, it would not take long. That ember would just glow again with fire and heat and power and sparks. And that's the same for you and I. We need to constantly be in God's house. They that are planted in the house of our God shall, in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. That's the promise of Scripture. So it is with you and with me, Christians in his church. Can I ask you this one last question and then we're going to stand for prayer. Do you feel backslidden? Chances are you've said no to that question. Chances are when I ask you, do you feel backslidden? Nope, I don't feel backslidden. Then let me ask you this. Do you feel on fire for Jesus? And that's different. Well, I don't think I really feel on fire. Then you're backslidden. Isn't that about the truth? If you're here today and you're not on fire for Jesus, why not? Why have you pulled yourself away from the Lord? Your Bible reading and your prayer. Do you remember a time when you used to be closer to God? Do you remember a time when you could hardly wait to get on your knees to pray because you knew your Father in heaven was listening? You can have that again. 
Come on our invitation and put yourself back into his hands. Let's stand to our feet today. Let's stand. We're going to bow our heads.